Morning, everybody. There's nothing more perfect to, as an excuse to not, not be able to be in person and worship than a storm and a long weekend. I think it's, it's, it's a perfect storm for, for people to be able to, to skip church. <laughs> um, so let me pray for the word that we have today. God, we give you thanks for your blessings. We give you thanks for your grace. We give you thanks uh, because our house were safe. We give you thanks for those that care for us. We give you thanks for those that were our neighbors. And I pray that we can hear your voice and see how you came into our neighborhood. You came into the neighborhood and show us the life. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. So I've been having a couple of conversations with, with friends from Argentina, and we were remembering, because next year is going to be 20 years since I finished high school. So we were remembering, I finished high school really, really early, just, just in case you're wondering how old, how old I am. And we remember, so one of the worst uh, financial times in Argentina happened in 2001. Not just financially, but also politi politi politically. We had five presidents in one week. Um, so we had the record on that. We are so good that we even have the m most amount of presidents in the shortest period of time in the world. Um, we also, so also the, the, our money just was devaluated so bad that we were really affected. Uh, but one, one of the things that, that happens when a situation like that affects a country is that every time there is an opening for a job, there is a long, long line of people. So there was this, this opening. They were only taking three people for the job, and there were like around 500 on the line. And so the first guy in line just go, go to this interview and the first question that they ask to this person is, um, you know, random questions. But they say, when was the country formed? This person say, well, uh, the country was formed in 1816. Okay, good, good. Who was the father of the country? Uh, well, who am I to choose one person? Many people were involved into that situation. So it, it will not be fair for me to choose one and say, that's it. Ah. Wow, great answer. Okay, one more question. Um, what do you think about the corruption in the country? And he said, well, at first I know the president has created a special committee to deal with that, but they haven't come to any specific conclusion yet. The people giving the interview for a job, they were astonished. Those answers were on the spot. They were great. So when the guy goes out, they say, please, please, don't ask, don't tell the people in line that we're asking these questions. So he goes out, and, and there was this guy, uh, and he hears that they are, you know, saying, like, great job, great job, great interview. So he said, what, what did they ask you? And he said, well, I promise that I cannot tell you what the answer is going to be, uh, what, what the questions are. Oh, come on, just give me a hand here. Tell, tell, me, tell me the questions they say. They ask you. He said, no, no, I promise I cannot tell you. Okay, you cannot tell me the questions. Tell me the answers you gave. He said, okay, I'll give you the answers. He said, first answer, 
1816. Great, 1816, 1816, 1816. Second answer, who am I to pick one man? Many people were involved in it. It will not be fair to choose one person among the multitude. Okay, many, many men were involved. It will not be fair for me to... 1816, okay. And the third question, well, the presence has created a special committee to uh, make a resolution about the subject, but they have not come to any conclusion. So then, um, this guy was in line waiting for his turn, and he was remembered 1816, uh, many, many people are involved who are meant to pick one, um, and the president has created a special committee. So his turn come to go to the interview, and he's ready. He's confident. He has the right answer. He knows what's going to happen. And while he's repeating in his head the, the answers that he's going to be given, the people interviewing see that there are problems with the form that he filled, and he was not paying attention. But they say, sir, there are, there are a couple of issues with your form here, so we would like to confirm one of the things that you wrote. When were you born? 1816. Okay, okay. Uh, sir, what's the name of your father? <laughs> Who am I to pick one man? Many, many people were involved in that situation. It would not be fair if I choose one of all the multitude that were involved in that act. Sir, are you out of your mind? Well, the president had created a special committee for me for, uh, to create a resolution, but not, not a specific answer has been created about it. So what's going on here? So we have a guy who has the right answers. But when you have the right answers and you don't know when to apply it, they mean nothing. They had these three questions that they were going to ask to every candidate, and the guy knew the answers. But knowing the right answer sometimes is not the warranty of anything. And we have a situation like this in this passage that I'm going to be reading um, now. And it's well known as the parable of the Good Samaritan. And the question is simple that the lawyer asked to Jesus, and is, what should I do to get eternal life? Now, if you want to contextualize that to the U.S. today, the question will be, what shall I do to be safe? That's pretty much the question that he's asking. So let me go to the passage for today. Just then, a religion scholar stood up with a question to test Jesus. What do I need to do to get eternal life? And Jesus answered, what is, what's written in God's law? How do you interpret it? So the lawyer said that you love the Lord your God with all your passion and prayer and muscle and intelligence, and that you love your neighbor as well as you do yourself. Good answer, said Jesus. Do this, and you will live. Looking at a loophole, he asked, Looking for a loophole, he asked, and just how will you define neighbor, said the lawyer. And Jesus answered by telling story. There was once a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. On the way, he was attacked by robbers. They took his clothes, beat him up, and went off, leaving him half dead. Luckily, a priest was on his way down to the same road, but when he saw him, he angled across to the other side. Then a Levite, religious man, showed up. He also avoided the injured man. A Samaritan traveling the road came on him. 
When he saw the men's conditions, his heart went out. He gave him first aid, disinfecting and bandaging his wounds. Then he lifted, lifted him onto his donkey, led him to an inn, and made him comfortable. In the morning, he took two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take good care of him. If it costs any more, put it on my bill. I'll pay you on my way back. What do you think, said Jesus? Which of these three became a neighbor to the man attacked by the robbers? The one who treated him kindly, the religion scholar responded. And Jesus said, go and do the same. We love this story. We're all familiar with this story. They have been cartoons, movies, and we love this story so much that we have created hospitals and clinics and relief agencies, nursing homes, and even credit unions holding that name, Good Samaritan. That's how much we love that story. And we love it so much because we also tell this story as a self-congratulatory tale of a story that is talking about us because we know the right answer. What are the greatest commandments? And you ask anywhere in the church and everybody will say, well, that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind and your neighbor as yourself. We know that answer. And we love this story so much that we also forget that the Samaritan and the story was never one of us. The Samaritan was, as a matter of fact, the enemy. Samaritans and Jews, they have so many things in common, but they disagree in a major thing. And that major thing was who God was. They both follow the Torah but not the same version. They both worship in the temple, but not the same one. They both claim to be the chosen one of God, but decided to ignore the fact that God might choose one, more than one people. Each group viewed the other one as a vile imposters, unclean in front of the eyes of God. A Jew would not like to have a Samaritan sleeping in their bed or sharing table with them as much as a Samaritan would not like to have a Jew sleeping in their bed or eating on their table. The Samaritans and Jews did not like each other. And in this story, Jesus is putting the Samaritan in the place of the good guy. And this story is in close connection with a situation that happened between Jesus' disciples and the Samaritans. There is a moment when Jesus needs a place where to stay, so the disciples go to the Samaritan village and try to uh, and ask for a place where to stay, and the Samaritan says, there is no room for you all. You cannot stay here. So they came back angry to Jesus to the point that they say to Jesus, let us pray and ask for fire to come from heaven and burn them down. That's how bad the situation between the Samaritans and the Jews was, that Jesus' disciples wanted to burn them all up. And the only thing that Jesus is asking of them is just to move on. That's not the way you deal with rejection or disagreement. And what Jesus is saying with this 
Good Samaritan story is that a simple act of kindness could change a long history of hate. This simple act of the Good Samaritan could change the whole story of hate between the Jewish and the Samaritans. The good news are only good news when we give up our idea of who's good and who's bad. And the main thing that we need to pay attention to this story is that Jesus does not care about what the Samaritan believes. It's what the Samaritan does what Jesus is paying attention. It's what the Samaritan does what Jesus cares. So he reads a different scripture. So he worships in a different temple. So he follows a different path. So what? The focus of Jesus was in what the Samaritan did, not what the Samaritan believed. And this is very troubling for many Christians. This is very troubling for many of us who were taught that it is faith what matters and not works. But, well, there you have it. Jesus was a really bad Protestant. Jesus cared about what the Samaritan was doing. At any point, at any point, Jesus created an argument about what the Samaritan was believing. You can summarize what Jesus was saying in the fact that the right belief don't change a thing unless they lead to right actions. It doesn't matter that you know the answers to every question if they don't become flesh. The question, I would like, for example, to change the question. I would like not to ask who is the neighbor, but I would like to ask who here has been acting like a neighbor? Because we also tell this story as a, way, as a passive way, okay, we need to wait for our opportunity to beat good Samaritans. Instead of like, okay, we're going to push our way through it because the world is on fire right now. So there are many ways that we can be good Samaritans, but we probably stay in our own bubble just waiting for the opportunity to help others to present, for the opportunity to show love to others to present to ourselves, rather than us going the extra mile and trying to become, to be good Samaritans. And this story of Jesus and the lawyer speaks to us today. Because we have convinced ourselves as Christians that we are good. That we help people. That we send money to foreign countries. Um, the reality is like it's easier to help somebody we don't know than to help somebody we dislike. And this is what the story of the Good Samaritan is about. Just think about who will be the last person you will wish to give you CPR? Well, that's your good Samaritan. This is the situation that Jesus is bringing up. Yeah, we, we help people, but most people that we help is people that we know. And, you know, just, just bring to memory this passage. If we love those who love us, then what credit is that for to you? It's easy to love and to help those who love us. It's easy to help and say we love those we don't know. But how easy it is to love those you don't like? 
hard, huh? How easy will it be to you to share a table with somebody you don't like? How hard will it be? Do this and you will live, said Jesus. Also, it can be put, if you are doing this, you are actually living that life. I have this person who likes to send information to me constantly about how wrong am I, I am about things, so I want to clarify something. I'm not saying that, hey, you're good and everything is fine. For some reason, that's what it comes through when I speak. What I'm saying, if you see somebody that is loving the others in the same way that you should love yourself, well, that person has the right belief because he's living it. Nobody can live the way that Jesus asks us to live unless that person's heart has been touched by God. So I wanted to put it there. Love is action. We like to talk about, oh, I love you, I love those feelings, and my wife... Seems like every time I name her, she's not here. And I think it's a self, I'm trying to tell myself that I'm safe. But sooner or later, this will come and bite me. Um, but she said many times to me through marriage, and she also said, said it to our son, like, you say I love you, you say I love you, but your actions don't show it. We have also this romantic idea of love as a feeling that that we need to feel that burning, warming feeling that we have passion for a person, when actually the word love in Scripture, agape, is a verb, it's an action. Love is an action. Love is something you do, not something that you necessarily feel. So when Jesus says you need to love your neighbor, you need to move, you need to act, you don't need to wait, you don't need to, to expect for, for the opportunity to help other people to come and present itself. Life in Jesus is going that extra mile. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. Living like Jesus, it means going the extra life, the extra mile. It's showing that love. N.T. Wright says, what is at stake then and now is the question of whether we will use the God-given revelation of love and grace as a way of boosting our own sense of isolated security and purity, or whether we will see it as a call and challenge to extend that love and grace to the whole world. No church, no Christian can remain content with easy definitions which allow us to watch most of the world Lying half dead in the road. So, life in Jesus, you can know the right answers. You can know scripture back and forward. You can quote whatever you want. But enlightenment is useless unless it leads you to actions. You can know whatever you want. You can be the greatest scholar in Scripture. But that doesn't change the world. What it changed the world are actions. Do this and you will live, say Jesus. 
So the question that I'm posing to you today is, have you been acting like a neighbor? One of the greatest things that is happening to the world, to the U.S. today, especially during election times, is that we would like to believe that we are great Samaritans, but we, there are a lot of people that we don't like and we just denied the greeting to people. We, we can say, yeah, we will help uh, somebody that is beating up on the road, but then you can come back to church and you don't like somebody and you don't greet that person. Will that look like a person that acts like a neighbor? Living like Jesus, getting eternal life, being saved, is not a new start. It's a continuation of the life that we live. Live, make the way of Jesus your way of life, making the, going the extra mile of loving people. You know how you have to act. Many of you have the right answers. You just heard the right answer. Now, the only way that the right answer will change the world is if that right answer becomes action. Do this and you will live. Who here? It's a neighbor to the world. Let me pray. God, we give you thanks because you show us the ultimate love. You didn't expect the world to come crying and, and, and kneeling and broken to you. You came to us. You met us where we were. You show us that those that want to live like you need to go that extra mile. You show us that love is an action. The love is not just a feeling. You show us that being a good neighbor is not to wait in the, in the front of our house to see who is going to be beaten and then go and help. You show us that being a good neighbor is to go to where the brokenness is, to mend the brokenness, to bridge, to build a bridge where there is a gap. So bring conviction to us, God. Don't let our pride, don't let our, our false sense of we know it all allow us to become that that you did not ask us to be. The good news become good news once we give away that sense of what's good and what's bad. Let us be like the good Samaritan who did not care about what the person that was laying down was or in what situation he was. Let us go that extra mile. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.